Good morning again. We're so glad you guys braved the weather, and it was nasty this morning. And so we're glad that you guys got out and realized that we're waterproof. That's how God made us, and so it's not that big of a deal. So anyway, we have a couple more weeks in this uh, At the Table series. We got this week and the next week. And uh, you don't want to miss next week, and I'll kind of talk about it here at the end. It's going to be exciting. Uh, this whole series has been about this idea of sitting at different tables. Um, and this is a beautiful table that Steve O'Keefe um, has provided for us for this series. And so um, here's what I want to ask. Um, do you ever find yourself in social settings, and you're there, and maybe you're sitting around a table with a group of people, and you have this feeling like you are at the wrong table? Like you don't belong at the table, you should be at a different table. Or maybe um, because of the circumstances, you just don't feel like you're at the right place at all. So one of the things I get to do um, in my job is I get invited to go speak at local events. And so like there'll be things going on in the community. And so we're part of different like um, things in the community. And so they'll invite me to come and share some words. The most popular thing that I get to do is do invocation. So you know what invocation is? It's a fancy word for prayer. And so I'll get invited to all kinds of corporate events or different things here and with the Chamber of Commerce and different organizations to do the invocation. And I love doing it. I love being out in the community. I love people realizing that I'm like a normal person um, and just being able to have fun and get to meet some people. And so this year, my friend over at the health department, Liz, um, she invited me to do the invocation for this Healthy Hearts Luncheon. Now, if you know what that is, it's a big event they do at the, the Paraquette Springs every uh, Valentine's Day. It's this great event. I didn't know anything about it, but I like Liz. And so I said, sure, I'll do it for you. I'd be happy to do it for you. And so um, the day of the event's coming up. And so I'm getting ready that morning. And, and one of the things is, is I have this uh, thing where if I'm going somewhere, like I need to know what to wear. All right, because if you just tell me I can wear whatever, this is what you're getting. All right, I'm a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. In fact, in about a month, you guys will not see me except for here on stage in anything but shorts for about three months, okay? So I'm a very casual, laid-back kind of dresser. And so um, I, I'm like looking on Facebook to see if there's any pictures from the last year. I couldn't really find anything. But I did see this like flyer that says the event's called Wear Red. And so I get in my closet and I'm looking in my closet and I realize... I don't own anything red. Like, I don't have anything red at all in my closet. And so I text Liz, and I'm like, hey, I don't have anything red except for, like, an old basketball jersey from a pickup league I played in, like, 10 years ago. She's like, wear that. And I'm like, nope. And so... Uh, <laughs> So she says, just wear whatever, which again is dangerous if you tell me that. So I did realize, and you've probably seen them, I have a pair of red Nike uh, sneakers. And so I, I was like, well, I got these red sneakers. She's like, great. So I put on the red sneakers, I put on jeans, and I had like just a journey shirt on. And in the last moment, I was like, well, this is probably a nice luncheon. So I'll at least put like a polo shirt on, right? So I put on a polo shirt. So I got again, red Nikes, jeans, polo shirt. I pull up to this event, park my truck, and I'm looking around and I see everybody kind of walking in. And I'm like, all right, everybody here is wearing a suit, like, and like a nice suit, like three-piece suits. I see women in fancy dresses, all red, mind you. Everybody's wearing red. I mean, people are dressed to the nines. I don't even know what that means. I just know we say it, but people are dressed up. So I'm thinking, well, maybe it's just this crowd. Maybe this is the nice-dressed crowd. So I walk into the event at the Paracut Springs, and it is like a big red fashion show. Like everybody's wearing red and all this stuff. I also, again, don't know what the event's for. I just know that Liz invited me to go to this event. So um, I go in, and my plan is, and I, I'm, I shouldn't tell anybody, so don't let this get out of the room. Um, but my plan is, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sneak in, okay, because I'm clearly underdressed. Um, I'm going to sneak in. I'm going to say the prayer. 
I'll go sit back down at my table about five minutes in, act like I have to go to the bathroom and just not come back. You know, you ever pulled that move? All right, so that's my plan. So I go in and I'm at the table and they're telling me where I'm supposed to sit. And she tells me, um, well, you're seated at table one. And immediately in my mind, I'm like, that can't be good, right? Because if you've ever been to these type of events, what they generally do when they're doing seating charts is if here's the platform, here's table one, and they kind of branch out from there. So I go and I sit down at, at table one and clearly, again, completely underdressed. Like there's some people that work for hospitals and stuff that are kind of wearing what they wore to work today, but most people are in suits and fancy dresses. I'm, in, I'm the only person there in jeans. I promise you that, at, that I saw. And so I'm sitting next to this guy and this guy's wearing a suit, of course. And so I'm like looking at him. I'm like, man, this guy looks really familiar. And so I'm like thinking and I'm like, oh, I know where it is. It's Kevin Harned, the meteorologist from Wave 3. I see him every morning on television. He's wearing a suit. We start talking. He's the MC for the event. So the event's kind of starting and it goes to invocations pretty early on. So I get up from my table and I go up on the platform and I'm going to say the prayer. And I'm like, well, I'm going to address the elephant in the room that I'm the only one to get the memo. We're supposed to wear a suit for this event. And so I like get up there and I joke, and I'm not wearing red either. That's the other thing. And so I joke and I say, hey, Liz told me that this was the wear red event, but I don't have anything red except for my Nikes. I showed my Nikes and, and he said, I said, I guess what happened is I didn't realize how deep my allegiance to the University of Kentucky was. <laughs> and everybody laughs a little bit, you know, and like, ha, ha, ha. So I come down off the table or off the podium and I look to my right and there's this giant heart there with this big banner that says University of Louisville Hospital. <laughs> so I sat at my table, it started to fill. And so I'm sitting there and at my table, okay, mind you, I just made a University of Kentucky joke, all right, is like the new director for the new UofL hospital going in at Brooks. There is somebody from the office of the CEO of University of Louisville Hospital. There's somebody from the office, and I'm, I'm wanting to say that they might have been the vice president of the University of Louisville. Again, UK joke, just like 30 seconds earlier. There's this other guy sitting there. I don't even know who he was. He just looked wealthy. You know these type of people? Like, he's just there to write a check. It's pretty obvious. Um, and then there's this world-renowned like, sleep doctor that's going to give like, this talk about like, the connection between sleep and your heart. Um, so I'm sitting there completely underdressed, sitting at this table with all of these people, again, connected to the University of Louisville, and I'm just sitting there and I'm going, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Like, I feel like I'm at the wrong table. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that, where you have this moment, you're underdressed or whatever it is, and now the people there were super nice. They don't hear that. They were actually really nice people. They were asking about the church and, and all that stuff, and even the, the lady from the University of Louisville even went to her car, true story, and got me a UofL pin so that I could wear it, and I was like, I'm not wearing that. But, uh, you know, no, I'm kidding. And so, you know, but you have this moment where you feel like maybe you're not sitting at the right table. Now, that's kind of a funny story about this kind of uncomfortable moment where I realized, okay, I'm underdressed and maybe I'm not supposed to be at this table. I'm supposed to be at the table in the back so I can leave. Um, but um, sometimes in life, we do have that feeling where we're sitting somewhere and, and we're sitting there going, I don't know if I belong here. Or maybe the worst part of that is that someone's made you feel like you don't belong there and you're not supposed to be there. So I'll tell you a couple of amazing stories from Jesus' life, and um, these are stories about people who either thought they were at the wrong table or someone told them they were at the wrong table. 
The first one is one of my favorite stories. We've used this before. And, and so some of you guys, if you've been coming here for a while, you've probably heard me tell this story. But it takes place in Luke chapter 5, and it involves this guy named Levi, who's a tax collector. Now, if you're new to church or kind of don't really read the Bible very often, what you'll see sometimes in the New Testament is they'll refer to people as they'll be like sinners. And we all kind of know what sinners are. Like when I say that word, like you have kind of an idea of what that probably means or what the Bible is trying to say. But then they would say, and tax collectors. Here's what you have to know. Tax collectors were so badly viewed in their community, they couldn't even put them in the same category as sinners. It was offensive to the sinners to be in the same category as tax collectors, okay? This is kind of the language that's used. So Levi is a tax collector, and so he's an outcast in his community. He sold out his family, his faith, his his community in order to make a buck off of Rome, and so he's considered greedy, and these guys were greedy and would do all of these things to kind of get ahead in life, and people didn't respect them in their community. And so this story involves one of these guys that's just like the lowest of the low in their cultural view. So in Luke chapter 5, it says this. Later, as Jesus left the town, so he's going to town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. So he's sitting in his booth at his table, and he's collecting the taxes for Rome. Jesus says to him, follow me and be my disciple. That's all he says. Just follow me, be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So this should raise a couple questions. Okay, first of all, who does that? Like, who, who, who would be willing that, that your, your life is so bad that somebody walks up and says, just come follow me, and you just get up and leave everything? Like, how bad does your life have to be, or how bad do you have to view your life? Now, for some of us, the defense might be, well, it's Jesus. So, like, if Jesus walked in those doors right now and invited you to do something, the temptation for all of us would be like, it's Jesus. We got to get up and we do it. But here's the thing. At this point in the story, Jesus isn't Jesus, like, you know, like Southern Baptists say it. Like, he's not Jesus. You know, he's, he's just a dude. Like, he's just this guy, like, in this region. He's got some followers. His reputation's starting to grow, but he's not a big deal yet. And he's definitely not considered the savior of the world yet. Like, he's just a guy. And so how bad does your life have to be that someone gets up, gives you this invitation, and you just get up and you follow him? I mean, how bad does it have to be that someone offers you a glimmer of hope and you jump at it, no questions asked? Now, not only does that kind of take place, but the other thing is you have to realize is that in this moment, Jesus is crossing a barrier that nobody else would cross. Nobody wants to associate with tax collectors. Nobody wants to have anything to do with them. And so you have to imagine that Levi is probably a little bit confused, that here's this guy that's kind of earning this reputation as like this rabbinical teacher and this kind of holy man, and he's inviting me. The disciples that are walking with Jesus are probably really confused that now this guy's going to join us. Like, really? Like, he's going to be a part of like us? And then you have these religious leaders, the Pharisees, that are kind of watching this whole thing unfold. And so everybody here is probably really confused, but it gets worse. So in verse 29, it says this, later, Levi, again, the tax collector, held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Jesus goes to this, he accepts this. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. So this raises another couple questions. First of all, Jesus goes. So it's one thing for Jesus to like, you know, like see this guy that's struggling in life and like invite him to follow him. It's a completely different narrative that Jesus feels comfortable going into his home. 
Because now in, in their culture, when you kind of invite somebody in your home, like you're going to be associated with this person. Like this is an acceptance thing. But Jesus is accepting of Levi. And then the other question is, it says many of Levi's fellow tax collectors. Again, like these guys are so low. Their only other friends are other tax collectors and other guests. Here's the question. Who are those other guests? Like, who are these people that their life is so distraught, they feel comfortable hanging out with tax collectors? And here is the scene where Jesus is right in the middle of all of it, in the place where many people don't think that he should be. Jesus gets this reputation that you'll see throughout the scriptures where it says that he was the friend of sinners. And there's this great quote by Andy Stanley. It said, If Jesus was worried by guilt by association, he would have stayed in heaven. Like, it's an insult to everybody else, but he doesn't wear it as an insult. He almost wears it in some ways as like a badge of honor. People who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, and they didn't just simply like him and be respectful of him, they actually liked him. They wanted to spend time with him. They were comfortable around him. We see here that they actually invite Jesus into their homes, and Jesus actually goes. That Jesus, who represents God in a bod in this point, like he's literally there. And these people who are nothing like Jesus and who everybody else thought they would be the people that someone like Jesus would reject, he is comfortable with them. Over and over, we see in the Gospels, Jesus mixing it up with these type of people. And Jesus was there and he was okay with being there, even though nobody else thought he should be. Now, you got to notice that he ate with sinners, and, and so this is an important detail, is that he was comfortable sitting there with sinners and tax collectors, but he didn't become one. He was very clear on who he was, and so he didn't become one, and I think this is important because we'll see some language here in a second that sometimes we have to be careful, okay, when we surround ourselves with, with people, um, and, and Jesus never allowed this. He never allowed the sick people to tell him what was healthy. He knew who he was and what he was doing. So the Pharisees, they're seeing this and the teachers of the religious law. And so it says in verse 30, the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain bitterly to Jesus' disciples. And so we have to paint a picture here. So in this setting, more than likely what's happening is Levi's having this banquet at his house. His windows are probably open. His doors are probably open. So he's having this banquet and people are kind of seeing this and he's probably wanting people to see this. That like, hey, Jesus is here sitting down with me. And so he wanted to see this. And so on the outside of the house are the Pharisees observing all of this, judging this, condemning this, but notice who's next to them, the disciples. The disciples don't even feel comfortable going in this house. Jesus' own disciples are kind of sitting back going, you know, Jesus, it's, it's one thing that you invite this guy to follow us, but like for us to go into this guy's house, like now we're going to get a bad reputation. And then they ask this question, and it's just, it's such an awful question, isn't it? Why do you eat and drink with such scum. What a fascinating word, scum, right? Why, why do you eat and drink with these type of people? See, the assumption is that if Jesus was here today, walking as he was back then, that we think that he would be in a place like this, like he would be comfortable coming into a church and sitting at a table in front of a church. But what we see over and over again is the place that we thought Jesus would be is actually not the place that he was. 
And notice the Pharisees are on the outside, the disciples are on the outside, and they're not really sure that they, any of them should be engaging in this situation. And you can't blame them. See, I think the thing that we have to remember about what Jesus offers and what he does is it seems a little weird, right? It seems that this religious leader, this religious person would be comfortable amongst all of these people that if we were to put them in boxes are so far from who Jesus is. And then you got to think about what Jesus is extending in this invitation to Levi. And we see this in the story, like that he's extending forgiveness to this guy. He's extending grace to this guy. He's extending mercy to a tax collector. One of the things that we, we use at church is we say things like, and other churches say this too, like you should just, we just sing a song, come as you are. Come as you are as long as you fit into the box that we want you to fit into. Come as you are as long as you check all your stuff at the door. Right? That's what we think. And here is Jesus. It seems scandalous. It seems weird. And it seems really weird because you got to imagine the people watching this. Like, he's a tax collector. Like, he screwed us over. Like, he, he screwed over his community, his family. I mean, this is a bad person. And Jesus is just sitting there with this guy. It seems kind of weird. I mean, and we live in a world where we think people should get what they deserve. And if, if Levi deserves anything from Jesus, it's a stern talking to, it's condemnation, it's judgment for who he is, and then maybe he'll change his life. But that's not what Jesus offers. Jesus, he, he overhears this, and you got to be careful what you say around Jesus. He's not even talking to them, but he overhears this, and he says this. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Now, you got to imagine this is a little bit offensive to these guys. <laughs> Can you imagine sitting there and be like, yeah, Jesus is with us. Well, they're the sick people. What? Like, seriously? Like, we're, we're, you know, but, but he's, he's being honest. He's being himself. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And Levi knows, remember? Jesus says, come and follow him. What does he do? He immediately gets up and leaves. Now, if we could freeze this moment in time in this story, we'd be left with a couple of unsettling truths. First of all, the grace and the, the acceptance that Jesus offers is inviting to the unrighteous and threatening to the self-righteous. Jesus is always going to be self-threatening to those who are self-righteous. Also, the troubling part of this story is the invitation of mercy, grace, and acceptance. It doesn't make sense in our world because that's not how we operate. But Jesus is wanting to change the view for people of what God is actually like. And so in this next story we're going to see about two chapters later, I mean, he does this in a way that nobody was expecting. So what we see two chapters later in Luke chapter 7 is Jesus is invited to another table to set at. This is not a tax collector. It's one of the actual religious leaders. His name's Simon. He's a Pharisee. And, and so he's invited to this banquet that, that Simon throws. And we don't know all the details as to why Simon invited Jesus because him and the Pharisees have kind of been button heads at this point. Many people believe that part of the reason was the Pharisees are always trying to trap Jesus. They're always trying to trap him into saying something or doing something that they can use against him, not only so that the people will see this and hear this and be like, okay, he's not really who he says he is, and he's not a prophet, and he's clearly not from God. So they're always trying to trap him up. And so maybe that was part of the invitation to this banquet is that they're going to ask Jesus some questions or do things or say things to Jesus that's going to get him in trouble. And, and so they invite him as the guest of honor. And so he's sitting at a table in, in this house and probably the same scene as Levi. The windows are open and the door is open and, and they want people to see this. And, and for them, they probably want people to hear what Jesus has to say, especially if he's going to say something that's going to get him in trouble. And 
So you got to imagine they're all kind of reclining around this table. The meal's about to begin. There's conversation in the air. People are there that were invited. People are probably standing against the walls. And there's probably people on the outside kind of observing all of this. And so the, the meal's about to start. And all of a sudden, this really weird thing happens. Jesus is sitting there. And all of a sudden, he starts to feel something at his feet. And then all of a sudden, there's kind of this, this aroma of perfume that kind of fills the room. And all of a sudden, he realizes that there's somebody sitting at his feet, and they're cleaning his feet. Here's how it goes. It says, when one of the Pharisees, Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, which would have been a very expensive jar to own. And she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So like we read that, and I know it's like this kind of emotional scene, but like it's weird, right? Like, like he's sitting there and this woman comes along and all of a sudden now she's cleaning his, his feet, which is like this customary thing that you do when someone came in your house because we talked about your feet are dirty from the travel and the dust and the dirt and all that stuff. And so she's sitting there and she's cleaning them, but she's cleaning them with her tears. Like this is a woman that's broken. This is a woman that's experienced things. This is a woman that's lived a hard life. And so she's sitting here at Jesus' feet, and she's like, it's like the sign of submitting to him. And, and she's cleaning his feet, and she takes this perfume, and she breaks it open, and, and probably a perfume that was even more expensive than she could even afford, and she breaks it over his feet. And there's probably this moment when the Pharisees are like, aha, we got him. See, what you have to understand is that for a Pharisee to have a meal like that, um, their house would have been had to be ceremonially clean. So it would have to be kind of this, this, this environment where everything is ceremonially clean that's kind of taking place here. And now all of a sudden, this unclean woman is in this house. And not only is she in this house, but she's touching Jesus' feet. And so now the whole thing is tainted. The whole thing is messed up. And who is Jesus anyway that if he knew who this woman was? I mean, listen to what the Pharisee, listen to what Simon thinks in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And so she's messed everything up. This whole banquet is now tarnished. The word there that sinner is harmatolos, which is not just like the idea of saying like a sin. Like um, all of us sin, just so you guys know. I sin, you sin, we sin. Okay, we're all, it's a big party. It's a sin party. We're all sinners, okay? I know it's hard to believe that I sin, but trust me, I do. And so um, we all mess up. But this isn't just like you mess up. This is like you're defined by sin. This is who she is. It's her identity. It's the way that people view her. So in their minds, she's a sinner, she's outside the covenant, she's unacceptable to God, she's ceremonially unclean, and everybody knows that she should not be here. And if Jesus is who he says he is, he should not be letting this woman touch him. And so the scene kind of unfolds that Jesus is just kind of sitting there. It's so bizarre. Like Jesus doesn't say anything about it, Right? Like, if you touched my feet, there would be a problem, all right? And like, Jesus just is like, just keeps going, like, yep, 
this is happening. And so again, Simon thinks like, Jesus, if you knew who this woman was, then you wouldn't, you know, all this thing. Now again, be careful not only what you say, but also be careful what you think around Jesus. And so they're eating and they're chatting and this is all unfolding. And Jesus just looks at Simon and he says, Simon, I want to tell you a story. It's out of the blue, like no setup, no context, just out of nowhere. He says, Simon, I want to tell you a story. And so here's the story. So you've got two merchants. And so these guys are business owners and, and they, they have to get in the place where they need to get some money. And so they go to this money lender. And so the money lender lends them some money. And so one of the guys that he lends money to, he gives them about 50 denarius, which is about 50 days worth of, so a denarius is about one day's worth of, of work or one day's wage. And so for about 50 days worth of an advance of, of you know, money, and so he like, gives it to this guy, so this guy can get ahead and get on with his business. And then there, there's another guy that comes along, and, and he lends him 500 denarius, which would be about a year and a half worth of, of wage. And, and see, so they get to this point where this guy's about a month and a half behind, this guy's about a year and a half behind, and all of a sudden they've been given all of this. They now owe this debt to this guy, and these two guys, they realize they can't pay this debt back. And so they don't know what they're going to do because we can't pay it back. Like we're so indebted at this point. Like how do we even pay this back? And so they go to the money lender and they kind of plead their case. And the money lender does the most unexpected thing. He just forgives their debts. He just says, free and clear. We're done. Write it off. We're done. And so both of these guys, they leave the money lender and, and they went in kind of scared and nervous about what was going to happen. And, and now they're both free and clear. Their debt has been canceled. And so Jesus, he, he looks at him and he says, so Simon, I got a question for you. Which of those two would be, and you expect him to say grateful, because if, like, if someone forgives my debt, like I'm going to be grateful that they've done that, because it doesn't happen, right? Good luck calling a credit card company and being like, just forgive my debt or car loan. It's not going to happen. So same thing in their world. Nobody does this. Nobody just forgives debts. And so you expect him to say which of them would be more grateful, but that's not the word that Jesus uses. Jesus says, which of them would love the lender more? To which they're all like, love a money lender? Like, no. And so they're sitting there and they're thinking about it. And so which one would actually love the money lender more for the forgiven debt? The one that owed 50 or the one that owed 500? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one that had the bigger debt would love the money lender more. And Jesus says, you're exactly right. You've judged correctly. And so he finishes that. And then the most remarkable thing happens, and it's this, this detail in the story that if you're just reading it, maybe you've heard this story, you, you don't see it. You, you, you kind of read right past it. So mind you, he's been talking to Simon the whole time and like ignoring like what's going on right here. And all of a sudden, for the first time, Jesus turns to the woman. And so he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. So he's looking at her and he's talking to Simon. And maybe for the first time in a long time, someone's looking at her and someone's seeing her. Not the way that everybody else sees her, not the categories that everybody else has put her in, but he actually sees her. And this is the part of the story that if you've come to church or maybe part of your story is that you've, you've sinned a lot. 
You got a lot of baggage. You got a lot of stuff. You got a lot of problems. And, and so Jesus, he looks at her, and it's so brilliant. He's looking at her, and he's talking to Simon, and he says this in verse 44. He says, then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? To which everybody there was like, yes, we see her. That's all we've seen for the last 15 minutes. What is going on? But I don't think he's saying, like, do you just see what's happening? Do you see this woman? Because they didn't. All they saw was a woman that was unclean. They despised her. They rejected her. They condemned her. They don't think she belongs at this table. Here's what Jesus says. Simon, I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Remember, he's looking at her, talking to Simon. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love is shown by whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. In other words, Simon, like, I know who she is. I know what she's done. And you see her one way, but I see her a completely different way. No sin, no secrets, like it's all out there. We know who she is. And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks at her and now speaks to her. And here's what he says. Your sins are forgiven. And imagine how she felt. For the first time, someone's looked at her and seen something other than what everybody else saw. It's important to note that when he does this, she did not say a word. She did not go before Jesus and plead her case. She did not beg for forgiveness. All she did was sit there in the tears because of everything she's gone through. And Jesus forgives her. And everybody watching at the table and everybody outside the table, you know what they say? They say, who is this man? And that's the exact right question. Who is this man that even a woman like her, that he can forgive her? Which begs the question, if he can accept and sit at the table with a man like Levi, and he can allow this woman who everybody else would not allow to touch them, to touch him. And then for him to accept her and to see her and to love her and to forgive her. If he's done that for them, what could he do for you? And is the same true which true for them that's true for me? 
Now, the early Christians, these stories start to circulate that Jesus is like doing these things. And so you have to imagine as people see that he accepts someone like a tax collector and this sinful woman, it's her whole reputation. You start to hear these people and these stories and these things of what Jesus does. And so the word starts to spread. And so all these people start to hear these amazing things. And, and so eventually they come down and they start to record all of these things that Jesus did. And these books kind of get spread around and, and they say, you know, this, this stuff that Jesus is doing, like if he's willing to do that for them and he can do it for me, well, that sounds like some really good news. And so the gospels start to form around stories like that. Now, you may already know this, but the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, um, is that um, Levi, and we've talked about this before, you don't know him as Levi. So, so most of you probably don't know him as Levi. The name that you're more familiar with, with who he is, um, is the name Matthew, as in Matthew, the gospel writer, Matthew, Matthew, the apostle. So Jesus, when he says, come follow me, like he meant it. And so Matthew gives the rest of his life following Jesus. And then eventually he, he realizes that what Jesus has done is so important that he's not just going to talk about it. He's going to write it down. And so he creates this gospel book that, that many of us read even today. And then the other woman, we don't know her as the sinful woman. We actually can know her name. And history tells us that the woman that was there that day wasn't just referred to anymore as the sinful woman. Um, we referred to her actually for the first time as her name, which is Mary Magdalene. Like that Mary Magdalene. So these stories, these amazing stories of these people who Jesus welcomed to the table that nobody else would. And their lives were changed. And not only were their lives changed, but they went on a mission to change the lives of other people. And so may we never forget, because of those stories, that, that people, you're allowed to bring your stuff and your mess and your baggage and, and all of that. And Jesus still loves you and accepts you and sees you. And for many of us, may we never forget that for ourselves. Because some of us have. And maybe for some of us in the deepest parts of our soul and our heart, maybe for the first time, you need to know that he does see you and he does care. For some of us, the temptation is to become like the Pharisees and the disciples that kind of see this audacious grace and mercy and we kind of step back and we're like, I don't know about them. And Jesus would be like, yeah, them too. They're welcome at the table. One of the things we often say around here is it's not the steps that you've taken. So it wasn't the steps that Levi had taken to that point, and it wasn't the steps that that sinful woman that we know as Mary um, had taken. It's the next step they took that was the most important. And so we believe that's true not only for them, but also for us. And so for many of you guys, the next step that you need to take is to actually believe this and to put your trust and your faith in this. And, and so the next step for, for what we're going to do in the series, we have one more table we're going to talk about. It's going to be next week, and you don't want to miss it. Um, we got one more table we're going to talk about. But, but the other thing that's going to happen next week um, is it's going to be a baptism Sunday. Which means if, if, if your next step is to actually believe this message and to put your trust and your faith in Jesus, we would love to baptize you. And it's also Mother's Day. And your mama would be so proud if you got baptized on Mother's Day. I can tell you that. So if that's your next step, we would love to talk with you about that. About this man. Who is him? Who is him? Who is him? Who is him? Who is this man that accepts even these people to sit at the table? Let's pray.